Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup winners' cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. Welcome to Believe in Borussia episode number 21. My name is Tilo and thank you for tuning in. What a start to the season we had. An incredible opener, so we have to touch on that. And then we will talk about the Super Cup, a farewell to a true legend, and we'll take a look back at the Forgotten Cup Final of 1963. Also, don't forget that you can still win a full BVB autograph set on social media, on Instagram or Twitter. So just head on over there, find the post or tweet, and then comment with your favorite player of all time. I've seen anything from contemporary to Adi Preisler, so surprise us. Follow us at Believe in Borussia. Comment under the post, and then good luck. The giveaway ends on August 31st. Last but not least, a word from our sponsors at BetOnline. They have a ton of sports, futures, prop bets, what have you. So visit their website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today we start with our new fan segment where we talk to fans and fan clubs from around the country to introduce them and share the Borussia community that is in the States. And we will look cross-country to Los Angeles. Hi, Marion. Thank you so much for joining us today. And maybe we can just get right into it and you can tell me a little bit about yourself and the fan club that you represent. Hi, uh, for, uh, thank you for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Marian uh, I'm Marian Feller from the BVB fan club Los Angeles. I'm born and raised in Germany. That's where the accent is from, and I've been in the United States or in North America for 20 years now. Wow, that's quite a while. So, when did you start uh, the Borussia Dortmund fan club or the BVB fan club Los Angeles? Is that the full name? Yeah, I think I call it like BVB fan club Los Angeles. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we started um, kind of like was in a group. So it was Liam, who was kind of like our president uh, on paper still. Um, he and I, we worked together at uh, Sony and I was going to uh, leave the office to watch the World Cup. And we were like talking soccer at this time. I think he was a rugby referee, actually. Anyhow, so long story short, we were talking about soccer and he was talking about, you know, different teams. And I'm like, no, it needs to be Dortmund. I'm from Dortmund and told him my whole story that I'm born and raised in Dortmund, been to the stadium since I'm 12 years old and um, grew up with some of the players, actually, and grew up in the neighborhood where Michelle Sork grew up in and to kind of like know his wife and... Uh, it's been a long, long time. So one of my friends from Germany or in Dortmund still work for Carsten. So it's kind of like small world there. And uh, anyhow, so we're talking it needs to be Dortmund. Long story short, his family. Really quick for the people that yeah. don't know, I'm sure you're referring to Carsten Kramer, who is yes. basically our number two and head of marketing at Borussia Dortmund. Correct. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, correct. 
And which World Cup are we talking about here? 2014, 18, 2010? Brazil, in Brazil. 14, gotcha. Yeah, 14. So, um, so right after that, and that's kind of like how the date that I remember, we started kind of gathering to watch soccer. We were, it was a few of us. We, we went to a British pub here in Santa Monica and watched, uh, watched early games because they were opening up for the Liverpool games. Um, after that, we kind of like traveled around a little bit different places. But um, then Dortmund, the international marketing team, approached us because they know they were coming to Los Angeles. And slowly and surely, and I don't know what the other clubs when they started, but I want to say that we went off the first ones that kind of like officially gathered for the Dortmund fan club to support the Dortmund team when they came over the first time to play Los Angeles uh, football club. Amazing. I think there's a one or two that have sort of like really independently formed themselves quite early. Like I think Milwaukee might be or somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah. But, but yeah, you definitely, um, right around that time, I think when a lot of that action formed around yeah. these tours that, that came because obviously... You know, that gave fans actually a reason to maybe leave the isolation and come together, right? And, and, and have this community experience that, you know, you normally only get when you go to the stadium. Exactly. So that's kind of like what we're trying to, to see. But it was really hard for us, to be honest. The games at 6.30 in the morning to get, like, to get a crowd was always the struggle. I admire your guile there. I tip my hat to you. I, when I lived in Mexico and it was 8.30, there was already a struggle. Uh, 6.30, wow. Um, so how do you do it now? Like how, how, how many members do you have? Like how many people turn out usually? Um, so now we kind of like um, moved around a little bit. And I think because we were consistent and we're doing it since 2014, 15, 16, and just didn't give up. Uh, now we found actually, we call it the Stammkneipe. It's kind of like a bar around the corner here that uh, was, well, he's a wonderful owner. He's super supportive for uh, fo football and soccer. Uh, and uh, so he opens for us whenever we want and wherever we need. So um, I think usually we have a, between 10, maybe 18, depending on what time and what game, obviously for the big games and, you know, with the raffle and everything, we're, we're attracting many more people, but some people come like they're driving hours to come to, to watch the game with us. So that's great. I don't know if anyone knows distances, but we're talking hundred miles, you know, and north, hundred miles east. Uh, and even now, I think there is now an OC club, but we had also the people from Orange County, which is south, another, you know, 30, 40, 50, uh, 50 minutes drive come up to, to meet us all in Los Angeles. Yeah, um, you know, like I said, it's absolutely admirable. And it's also so crucial to have a good location and a good bar partner in that case that, that supports yeah. you, that accommodates you, your needs, because nothing is worse than driving, for example, these 100 miles or even just, I don't know, getting on the train or wherever you are in the US and then you come to that place and then, I don't know, you get no sound or a crappy TV or you just, just, just not felt welcome, you know, it, it just ruins the atmosphere. But absolutely kudos for even getting five people out in the morning, let alone 10 <laughs> or 20 or 30. Um, that's really, you know, like I said, very respectable and things like, for example, derbies, which are usually at 6.30 or 3.30, uh, European time. Um, yeah, man, you know, like you need to be up for that to watch that. So, um, so could you just, uh, where is that fantastic bar that you gather right now? And in case somebody just wants to join you. <laughs> 
Yes, no, it's wonderful. It's LA Drought. It's in Santa Monica on Lincoln Boulevard. Um, we kind of like find it on Facebook. We're on our Facebook page as well. Uh, we have we kind of like posting all our events and anything that's going on on our Facebook page, the BVB uh, LA uh, Facebook page. So that works most of it. And yeah, there's free street parking. There's an inside and outside. It's wonderful. And the owner, his name is Mo. Kudos to him. They're very supportive and it's wonderful. And it's a fan, you know, like it's a fun environment and he make, gets up, makes breakfast for us, coffee, mm. uh, and it's a craft beer bar so for all the beer lovers out there that's the place mm, to go 6 30 in the morning craft beer what could go wrong <laughs> right <laughs> so um los angeles you know la county biggest county in the u.s um lots of people um you know if somebody hears this now and wants to join you what does he or she have to do you just take anyone or um i don't know how do they get in touch all that good stuff um, yeah, so we highly encourage everyone to come to one of the viewing party, introduce yourself, meet the team. Uh, it seems to be working very well for us. We just had a, a lady from San Francisco that's now in LA coming and join us. There's some people that just like, oh, I love Dortmund and uh, somehow the word gets around. But yeah, so they can do that. Go to the, as I'm saying, the Facebook page, go to the events. They can contact us through that uh, message link there as well. And uh, we will get back to them right away. Great. Um, are you also on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? That's your go-to channel. So right now, as most of our go-to channel, we are launching our Instagram page and uh, and Twitter uh, soon. So I will let you know. Awesome. Okay. So got it. Facebook. That's where you get in touch with the BBB Los Angeles fan club. Amazing. Is there anything else that you want to share? Um, I don't know, with other fans across the, the US and North America or something you know that makes your club special or like a cool story that you want to share? We talked about, uh, for example, traveling with the team. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, that does really make our club special, but I think what we were really uh, uh, privileged to was when the team came over to play our local team, the um, Los Angeles LAFC. Football Club, yeah, and there was like a training and we were actually with the team. It's almost impossible to go to Dortmund to get a spot like this. And um, and I know the team was actually living around the corner from my home, not that we were supposed to know that, but obviously we did and you would see people running around or you would go by the beach and you see like Royce on the beach or Mario Götze. That was kind of like for me from being from Dortmund and just being with them. It was the most fun I ever had. My friends were saying like, oh my God, I've never seen you that way. I literally couldn't the last day. I'm like, I need to go to work. I cannot do this anymore because having so much fun is almost painful. Um, so it was really fun to have them here and how like, like that the kids could just go up to them. Everyone was giving, you know, like writing autographs. We had this get together with a half of some of the team, I'd say the marketing people, Weidenfeller and I had a conversation about like how his future, um, they interviewed us. I was kind of like on MLL, MLS channel regarding this. That so was kind of like really fun time, just hanging out with the team and with the, with the players. Uh, I think that was really a privilege for the BVB fan club in general and for the people that were with us. Uh, so that was an experience, I think, one of a, li a lifetime for all of our members. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I mean, it is so special, especially if you live so far away and, and you know, 
New York is already far away. In LA, it's another 4,000 yeah. miles, you know, a three-hour difference. You're literally almost on the other side of the world. So being so close for, you know, even for just a couple of days must have been an amazing experience. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, it was great to hear about it. So everybody, you know, if you're in LA and you've always been a Dortmund fan or if you just moved there, or I don't know, if you're in Lancaster, in Orange County, in Anaheim, what have you, Thousand Oaks, go down to uh, Santa Monica, was it? Yeah, so Santa Monica, yes. Find uh, the BBB Los Angeles fan club. Say hello to Marion, have a craft beer in the morning <laughs> and support Borussia at, on the West Coast. On the West Coast, thank you. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Marion, for coming on and holding up the black and yellow flags in Los Angeles. Thank you, Tilo. Thanks for having me. What a furious start to the season. We're all still hyped over here. What a game. Borussia came to get it from the first second. And here's Holland. <laughs> Strength, power, precision, pass. What now? Marco Royce. There goes the beer. Wunderbar. It was amazing to see how the team played forward under new coach Marco Rosa. Maybe it was just a matter of lack of options as the team was very front heavy with absolute world class in the forward area and um, and maybe not first selection in the back line. So knowing that it made sense to play forward so quickly, but it was still a sight for sore eyes and it could have been an even higher victory, which is maybe the only negative, slightly negative aspect of the afternoon. The two goals were obviously less than ideal. However, there's room to improve after a 5-2 and the game itself was just very exciting and it was never really in doubt. So overall, a very satisfying encounter. And Borussia Dortmund have really become somewhat of experts of season openers of late. It was the seventh year in a row that Dortmund won its season opener, which ties Bayern for most consecutive one openers as a Bundesliga record. Also, this game marked the eighth consecutive league win of Borussia Dortmund, which ties a team record so with another W on Saturday against Freiburg, they could make it nine in a row and set a new club record. And lastly, a new record was established with 33 consecutive games where Borussia Dortmund scored at least one goal. Hey, say what you want about Borussia, but it's never boring and you always will see goal action. All around it was a pretty good soccer weekend in Dortmund because while the first team blasted past Eintracht Frankfurt on another Erling Haaland masterclass, the second team was up for it too. Richmond Tachi scored a screamer in an equally entertaining 5-2 throbbing of Freiburg's second team. Seriously, go check out the highlights on YouTube. A very, very good game. And the 7 points out of 3 games have Borussia Dortmund's second team sit in the second place in the third division, so they also had a very good start to the season. So did now the first team and the big story in Dortmund, apart from Erling Haaland's two goals and really we should have been three assists, were the fans returning, at least 25,000 of them. But they made it feel like it was 50,000 or 70,000 and the players were loving it. Marco said he had goosebumps warming up and you could tell the energy level was up there from the kickoff. Gio Reyna had this to say about it. Yeah, it was amazing by the team. Uh, it was amazing to have fans back. 
Uh, great performance. Uh, the best part is, you know, we still we still have room to improve on individually as in a team. So uh, yeah, it was a great start. Great to have fans back. A lot of goals. Uh, overall, great great day. So it was awesome. For Marco Reus personally, it was the absolute right decision to skip the Euros. He's in such a fine form because he was in the preseason camp from the beginning, working on his fitness, working on his body. He looks fresh, he looks vital, and he had the second most sprints after Haaland on the team. He opened the scoring for Dortmund and his goal was the 100th goal in the Bundesliga for Borussia Dortmund making him only the fifth Borussia player to do so. Next up on that list is Swiss legend Chapuisat with 102, which should be fairly doable within the next weeks. Then we have 1960s goal machine Lothar Emma Emmerich with 115, club legend Susi Sorg on number two with 131, and the late Manfred Burgsmüller with 135 goals for Dortmund at the top. So if Marco keeps it going and has two more good seasons, he could actually become the all-time club leader in Bundesliga goals. He just has to stay fit, and if he continues like that, good things will happen. He had to swallow a couple of bitter pills, losing in the Champions League final, missing out on the 2014 World Cup with an injury where he definitely would have made the squad and would have won the World Cup with Germany in 2014. I hope he made his peace with all of that, because he still got so much to play for. Bringing a title home to Dortmund, his hometown, his boyhood club, as captain, would raise Marco Royce beyond doubt on the highest of stratospheres into the BVB Olymp, in my opinion. It would be the ultimate feel-good story, something the soccer world really hasn't seen since Francesco Totti at Roma. But I personally don't really care what other meme fans think of Marco Reus. It's not about the outside. It's about the community within the club. Borussia Dortmund is a special club where titles are special because they tell a personal story. And the Dortmund boy rising through the ranks that was wrongly cast away, being deemed too thin, too skinny, but his love for the city never waning and the club making him return that isn't cheesy meme content. It's not fabricated from a list of questionable stats and accomplishments to fill blank content inventory. It's simply the truth. And while it seems he was destined to do it with that story arc, it is also baggage that can quickly turn very heavy because he could ultimately remain that what-if guy. What if he would have stayed healthy? What if he would have gone to another club? Or cynics might ask, what if it wasn't a matter of circumstances? What if he just wasn't that great, but merely very good and not fit enough to win the title by himself? Well, he can answer all those questions by himself and squash those silly sentiments. Leading Borussia to the title would solidify him as an all-time BVB great and I think offer some personal redemption. When even opposing fans are openly rooting for the guy to get his Bundesliga title, you know the dude has paid his dues. One title Marco Reus had no problem with winning so far is the Super Cup. And with a win versus Bayern, he could win his fourth Super Cup. I don't think he's going to lose any sleep over it though. I mean, the Super Cup is 
always a nice early season form indicator and you clearly don't want to lose it. You get to lift something at the end, so that's nice. So nobody's going to take it lightly. That said, I think anyone would flip a win in a Super Cup with a win, say, in the DFB Pokal in the heartbeat. I guess it's because the competition itself hasn't been steady enough and hence it doesn't have the prestige right now. It draws its attraction from the fact that it usually pits very good teams against each other and often fears rivals, as is the case. The bragging rights that are on the table is enough to get things a little heated. But I just can't shake the feeling that the game is more about not losing to your rival than actually being driven to win the cup. That's more the added perk in a sense. The competition itself just doesn't have the pedigree yet because it has a rather short and uneven history, very simply. The German FA started the Super Cup in 1987, but then seized it again after the 1996 season. Borussia won the last two Super Cups as the reigning back-to-back -back champions in 1995 and 96. And then for years there was nothing again, some unofficial cups or like some sponsored events, that was it. Only in 2010 the DFL, which is not the FA, but the governing body of the pro clubs in the first and the second division in Germany, they revived the competition again and it has been played ever since. I think it was a little more interesting in the beginning maybe, while the league was just more balanced and teams were a bit closer it seems. In particular, when Bayern and Dortmund were going at each other in the beginning of the last decade. As everybody was looking to get whatever leg up on the competition that was possible. And just send a message for the season. But in recent years, I think it has faded a little bit. Again, nobody wants to lose because they're simply professional athletes that compete for a living. But at the same sense, you know it doesn't really make that much of a dent winning the Super Cup in terms of like winning the league or the German Cup, which are just the bigger fish that I think the club wants to fry. The odd part is that every now and then there was still Super Cup-style games played, league versus cup winner, for example, but just as one-offs. For example, Borussia Dortmund beat Bayern in 2008, but that win doesn't show in the official statistics because it wasn't officially a sanctioned game. And per the record, officially Borussia Dortmund has won 6 out of 11 times, with Bayern having gotten 8 out of 14 finals. So since its rebirth in 2010, only two other teams not named Bayern or Dortmund have won it, which was Wolfsburg in 2015 and a certain Schalke in 2011. And if you're not familiar with the second team, that's because they're playing in the second division right now. They were a former uh, rival from the Ruhr area of Borussia Dortmund. And it doesn't look like they're coming back to the first division anytime soon. Bada bop, boom, pow. Oh! Given how wobbly Bayern has looked so far, Borussia Dortmund really should make it seven wins in the Super Cup. Yes, Bayern still has Neuer and Kimmich and Lewandowski and whatever. But the squad is quite unbalanced and a little rusty. So they're not that well-oiled machine in the moment. And Dortmund is playing at home. So they should continue their fine form and win it. And speaking of machines in Bayern Munich, this past weekend, the soccer world has lost one of its best ever. Maybe the best in-the-box striker of all times. 
Gerd Müller named the bomber of the nation because he was bombing opponents with gold like it was no one else's business, passed away at the age of 75. He had been struggling with dementia, and even before the sickness took its hold on him, he was a rather introvert and calm character that shied away from the limelight. But when he was on the pitch, the guy was insatiable. His scoring records are insane. He won the Torjäger Kanone seven times. Three net 65 Bundesliga goals are by far the most ever. His 40 Bundesliga goals in the season record stood almost 50 years. His 68 goals and 62 caps for Germany are absolutely unparalleled. He scored more goals than he played games for Germany, including 14 goals and two World Cups. The man was not to be denied. He basically was leading goal scoring in whatever competition he played in. He was the best goal scorer in Europe twice. He scored the most goals in the World Cup 1970 with 10. He won the Golden Boot at the Euro 72. He had the most goals in the German Cup for three times. He had the most goals in the European Cup four times. Müller helped to lift Bayern out of the second division into the Bundesliga, established him there and eventually turned him into a European powerhouse. He won four leagues, four German Cups, three consecutive European Cups, the Club World Cup, the Euro 1972, the World Cup in 1974, scoring the winning goal in the final, the Ballon d'Or. The man had it all. As a club, you pray for a seminal talent like that to come along once in a lifetime and stick around and his goals turned the fortunes of the club around just as much as, say, a Franz Beckenbauer did, or even more so. Borussia Dortmund CEO Aki Watzke counts him as one of his childhood idols. He redefined what seemed possible and he moved the needle for goal scoring into another stratosphere. Like what Erling Haaland is doing right now, setting the league on fire for a year and a half, Gerd Müller did that for 10 to 15 years straight for one club. Uncanny. And Müller was very humble. He was down to earth. He was loyal and unbelievably successful. He sort of embodied that ethos of mainstream Germany. Shut up, work hard and be successful. People admired him. Gerd Müller came from very humble beginnings. He was the youngest of five, born in a tiny town in Bavaria. And his parents were blue-collar workers that struggled to make ends meet for the family. Like all the kids, Müller played soccer in the streets. But when he was asked to join the local club, he first was too shy to go and try out. He left school with 14, with the lowest of degrees possible, and jobbed while playing in the small local town team. But then with 17, he got into the first senior squad of a low Bavarian division side, TSG Augsburg, and the bombing started. 47 goals and 28 games granted them promotion and put him on the radar of the big clubs from Munich. At this time, 1860 Munich was the clear number one in the city and keen on signing the young striker. However, Bayern officials swept in just before, beating 1860 Munich to the punch and their delegation that was about to sign Müller by just an hour and signed him right there. And Müller, thinking he wouldn't play much with the star assemble from 1860, opted instead for lowly Bayern Munich in the second division. What a break for Bayern. And how typical of Müller. I mean, without being a Müller expert, it seems that for the time of his life, he struggled with his self-worth, opting for seemingly smaller things, having no sense of entitlement and a fear of rejection, really. And it was partially true. I read that within the club, 
the team and the people in the locker room, they actually did look down on him and just saw him as this short bully Muller. He was something of a redneck in a sense, too many and uh, just a simpleton with thick ties and it nagged on him. But on the pitch, he could prove them all wrong and I think it fueled his ambition and his unbelievable hunger for goals. Unfortunately, once you leave the big stage of soccer and the adoration fades, the struggle started again for him. In the late 70s, he had a falling out with the Bayern coach and played his last Bundesliga game in 1979 against Borussia Dortmund. Despite announcing his retirement, he ended up playing at the Fort Lauderdale Strikers in the NASL until 1981 and he stayed in Florida to take over a steakhouse with some friends. But the always shy Müller wasn't really comfortable with being that celebrity host in the Gerd Müller's Embry. He still spoke hardly any English, the guests were mostly Germans and expats and I don't think he ever really arrived in Florida. Maybe he arrived at the image of what Florida was to Germans back then like Miami Vice, sunshine and drinks and flamingos. But I don't really think he fully arrived in America. So he started drinking more and upon his return to Munich, his alcohol problems worsened to a degree that friends and former teammates intervened and convinced him to go into rehab. When he finally became sober in 1992, Bayern offered him a job in a coaching position for the second team. Away from all the limelight, but in the company of his one great love, soccer. Whenever journalists would roam around the Bayern Munich headquarters at Sebener Straße and got bored, which is pretty much always, and whenever Müller's record was threatened, which was most of the time, for example, his ancient 85 goals in the calendar year record, they would come up to him and ask him things like, but Gerd, what about if Leo Messi scores more goals than you this year? It could finally happen. Then Müller would respond in his very own style, you know, I don't care much about records. And if there's anyone out there that should have it, it's Lionel Messi. And if you know Gerd Müller just a little bit, you know he meant every word of it. Gerd Müller was class and he passed away August 15th, one of the greatest players of all times and the greatest in-the-box striker in the history of this game. I'm going to wrap this segment up with a quote from Jupp Heynckes and Franz Beckenbauer, courtesy of the Bundesliga channel. And consider Beckenbauer, who is one of only two people in the world that has won the World Cup as a player and coach, and publicly in Germany is probably regarded the most notorious, famous personality to come through Bayern and soccer in Germany at all. This is what he had to say. We used to get changed in a wooden hut, and I said disrespectfully at the time that if it hadn't been for Gerd Müller, we'd probably still be in the hut today, still changing there. He scored all the goals for us, and goals are the most important thing in football. So we're going to end this week's podcast with a little bit of history again. Looking back at the forgotten DFB Cup final, on August 14th, 1963. Why do I say forgotten? Well, first of all, the result didn't really pan out and Dortmund, spoiler alert, didn't win the whole thing. But then also, the final did get swept away a little bit by being squeezed into a weird schedule in the summer where the buzz about the other new competition that was about to start was already picking up. 
that competition being the Bundesliga. Times were just different. Borussia Dortmund had just crowned itself a surprise champions against heavy favorites Cologne in another heat battle and captured its third title in eight years, the last one of the Oberliga era. The new National Top League Bundesliga, for which Borussia Dortmund was already guaranteed a starting spot, had already cast its big shadow over the talks and the press and in the pubs around Dortmund. After climbing the German soccer Olymp on June 29th in the scorching heat of Stuttgart, which we will do another episode on dedicated to that game, Dortmund lifted the championship, but instead of looking to prepare for the Bundesliga season, the players now had to gather to compete in the cup, because unlike today, the DFB Cup started just when the league was ending. Borussia had played its first round game on June 1st and was now preparing just after the championship final for a quarterfinal game on July 31st. At least Borussia had the luck of the draw, getting all three rounds to play at home, first beating Saarbrücken, then fellow new Bundesliga sides Werder Bremen, and 1816 Munich in the semi-final. That semi-final was played August 8th and the final was scheduled for August 14th. Borussia had played all summer long and they probably celebrated a bit too coming off the German championship. Still, the team was hungry to bring home not only the first cup in the club's history, but also the first double period in German soccer, a feat that had never been accomplished before. This challenging task was tucked in between the championship celebration and the kickoff of the Bundesliga that started only 10 days after the final on August 24th. I'm sure the players really wanted it too. But I'm also sure that the hefty schedule and the distraction of winning the final and the upcoming Bundesliga season didn't necessarily help the team rest, focus and prepare for the cup final. And waiting in the final was the Hamburger SV, with the other German forward icon, Uns Uwe, our Uwe Seeler. HSV had a pretty crappy record against Borussia Dortmund up to that point. Whenever they ran into Borussia in the final rounds of the championship, because Hamburg was playing in the Oberliga North and Borussia was playing in the Oberliga West, so the only time they could meet was in the championship rounds when they were the best representing each Oberliga, well, every time that happened, Hamburg usually draw the short straw. And most painfully so in the 1957 final when Borussia Dortmund overwhelmed and outclassed a wretched Hamburg team 4-1. Before the game, a young Uwe Seeler mocked Suliaks because of his old age. However, Suliaks told Seeler after the game that he'd still be good enough to whip his butt for another few years. Case in point, Borussia Dortmund surely weren't afraid of the HSV and they were the reigning German champions after all as well. Hamburg, on the other hand, was likely extra motivated to finally get one over the black and yellows. So with Borussia coming off a tough summer and also missing their top two strikers, Timo Konitzka, who would go on to score the first Bundesliga goal in history only 10 days later, and without Jürgen Charlie Schütz, who'd been transferred to the Roma for back then an enormous amount of 450,000 marks, likely a few million in today's value, Borussia were missing some firepower. Charlie Schütz was the three-time reigning Oberliga West top goalscorer. 
So I think it's fair to say that the stars didn't exactly align for Borussia Dortmund. And in the final, Hamburg came out swinging. They were threatening the Borussia Dortmund goal from the get-go. And Uwe Seeler broke the deadlock after only 30 minutes and he added a second goal just three minutes later. So Borussia tried to fight back and dig deep, but there wasn't much left to dig into. With crucial players missing and a grueling season in their legs without a real break, there just wasn't much more to give. When Uwe Seeler scored for a third time in the 84th minute for his hat-trick, the game was all but done. Borussia Dortmund would have to wait another two years to reach the DFB Cup final and win their first cup. And that very cup would pave the way for the win in the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1966 in the legendary final in Hampton Park against Liverpool that would make Dortmund the first German team ever to lift European silverware. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup Winners' Cup. So the 63 final often gets lost in between the triumph in the German championship and the more prestigious titles that followed. Nevertheless, it was the club's first cup final. And after 1965, it would take the club another 24 years to reach another DFB cup final. In recent years, Borussia Dortmund has fared much better, winning three cups in the last nine years and making the final six times. And now, Borussia Dortmund, the reigning DFB Cup champion, is off to another winning start, advancing out of the first round just two weeks ago, and hopefully can add more glory to its DFB Pokal letterhead. Thanks for tuning in again and listening to Believe in Borussia, presented by Bet Online. Please don't forget to follow us, subscribe, comment, leave us a review on the podcast on Apple. And also don't forget to check out our Instagram and Twitter giveaway for the autograph set. If you haven't done that, I highly recommend to do so because if you're listening to this, chances are you would very much appreciate an autographed set from Borussia Dortmund. Until the next week, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.